0: I your running journey, or my running journey, I speak for myself, is really that it's your own. And, and it doesn't matter how fast you go, and it doesn't matter how far you go, it just matters that you go.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review, and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. This episode is for anyone who's battling to get started. And by getting started, I mean starting a healthy lifestyle plan, getting moving, or even starting a new business. Zoe's philosophy of starting where you are with what you have is an inspiration, especially if you're feeling stuck. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to have you on the Reinvent Health podcast. I'm absolutely loving your book. I'm loving your journey and I'm loving all the themes that are coming up for me in in your tale of how you got yourself from, from being, you know, just an average normal human being like so many of us to doing something that is, I think, superhuman. And I know there are Millions of runners all over the world, but what it takes to get to a point where you can do something like a a marathon after being ill is an enormous achievement. So, thank you for joining me today. Sure. So, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, it's just as much of an honor for me to be uh, spending some time with you today. Uh, and by the way, I'm still very much an average, normal person. <laughs> I just i had i had this momentary. Um, blip in judgment (laughs) Um, and yeah running running has has definitely become an intrinsic part of my life but uh, yeah let's rewind a little Um, so perhaps the elevator version um, just a little bit of background about me I am a chartered accountant by profession so well, I'm probably not your average chartered accountant. I have got quite a strong right brain um, side or autistic side as well. And um, yeah, so I guess that was one of my challenges uh, at school. I was, I guess that's where one has to take it back to. I was not one of the popular kids at school. <laughs> In fact, I, I on odd occasion would be found reading books at break time and so on. I struggled to make friends, I guess, possibly largely because my, my upbringing was very old-fashioned okay. and very strict. And, um, yeah, so my dad and, and my mom, a uh, very big part of, I guess, getting me to where I am today. Um, that sounds a little bit cliche, but it is true. Yeah, we are our story. So mm. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, my dad, um, he, he was one of those. Uh, he passed in 2012. But uh, if you read the intro to my book, you'll see, I mean, he was absolutely my, I idolized him. Um, And one of the biggest (laughs) disappointments in his life was the fact that I was useless at uh, any form of athletics. And uh, I had this pet hate uh, of running, uh, probably because I was in boarding school. And when one is in boarding school, you are obligated to participate in everything whether you're good at it or not. And I was most certainly not not good at it at all. <laughs> so if you were looking for someone coming first from the back, that would typically have been me. So <laughs> I, I found it very embarrassing. And I guess when I left school, I had this, you, you kind of get this idea in your head that, okay, I'm just not good at that and I'm not going to do it and I hate it. Little, um think, understanding at the time that possibly it was just because I wasn't fit enough uh, to be able to participate in the sure. kind of sports that, that one mm-hmm. gets at a school level. And yeah, then started working. Uh, I did kind of roll out of school, I must add that. I, I was rather large, uh, probably because I was in boarding school. I used to enjoy finishing off the desserts on, on pudding days so Tuesdays and Thursdays after everyone left the dining hall I could be found uh, polishing off the remaining custard so I, I I definitely rolled out of school I was I was by no means a lightweight but my weight never really bothered me uh, Nikki I must be honest it was never really a a thing until you know, I had a, a we all go through relationship breakups I guess but um you know you when i well, i did i tended to blame myself and i was like okay maybe it's because i'm fat or maybe i didn't look right or whatever the case might be and I, I, it was a bit of a growing process as well not so much just about weight but more kind of normal you know right? I mm. yeah you sort of you're growing up you know you're trying yeah. to figure out who you are and where you're going and that sort of led me to joining the gym which i hated just as much <laughs> So I guess the, the bottom line is really I, I was never very athletic at all um, probably right up until more or less 2016 or so uh, so I did the mandatory stuff um, yeah and then as things happen in life I uh, sort of thought I had my life under control ah. which I think <laughs> is an absolute myth uh, probably if I if I have to acknowledge now looking back one never really has your it's it's completely... You know, you you control what you think you can, but uh, life has always got bigger plans for you. Yeah. So I got married in 2012, and um, in 2015, my husband and I share a love for the outdoors and adventuring and camping. And in 2015, we went on holiday to the Kruger Park. And to cut a very long story short, I started to feel ill. At Kruger, I sort of felt a bit like flu, fever, Uh, shaky legs, headache, uh, you know, your usual sort of fluish stuff. Came home, climbed into bed for a couple of days, eventually went to the doctor because I wasn't getting better. First doctor prescribed antibiotics, uh, still didn't get better. So, more than a week later, I went to see a friend of ours. who's also a very good GP. And um, she Insisted I go for blood tests, and almost immediately after receiving the results of those tests, she called my husband and said to him, "You have to take her to the hospital. High infection rate." So, I mean, going to the hospital is not exactly something I really wanted to do, and especially because I didn't have much energy to do anything. I kind of remember opening up a bag and looking at my cupboard, going, "What? What do you pack to take to the hospital?" You know, but we. Yeah, we went to emergency room, uh, and very shortly after I was booked in, uh, landed up in ICU in the coma for 10 days. I don't remember much of that period of my life, <laughs> to be honest. I uh, woke up after the 10 days and looked at everyone, I was like, what is everyone fussing about? I'm fine. But uh, the doctors obviously didn't <laughs> share the same sentiment. And they, during that period while I was in the coma, said to my husband, I was, Either not going to make it, um, or I was going to be incapacitated, or you know, mentally challenged if I came around. That was a very traumatic period, I think, for my family mostly. Um, me, I sort of came out of that kind of like, you know, I didn't really understand. I, I, I don't recall the ten days passing at all. Um, so maybe just for that, uh, the some of the stuff that they say was wrong with me, and I guess it remains a mystery till today, what, what caused my illness and, and what my illness actually was. Seems it was caused by some form of virus, but I had encephalitis or meningitis, one of the two. Uh, I also had geordia, I had septicemia. I had, a, I had an epileptic fit where I nearly yes. turned the hospital bed over and they had to strap me to the bed. Um, yeah, so I mean, some some of the funny stuff coming out of that was I am English by by birth. Um, my husband is Afrikaans, so we speak both languages at home. But I was non-responsive to anybody that spoke to me, barring the person that eventually took me for yeah. um, a lumbar puncture. And he didn't know that I was English. He spoke to me in Afrikaans, and apparently, I responded to to that okay. and that only. So weird. <laughs> but yeah, so. Yeah, when and I guess, you know, so I didn't know all of that, but uh, you sort of wake up in hospital and it's all these beeping machines and nurses and blood tests and heaven only knows what all. But uh, one of the biggest challenges or realities for me was that I was, I wouldn't say, I mean, I wasn't athletic, but I was fairly competent and able to manage all my body parts. But going to the toilet, I I couldn't really do that on my own. Uh, I couldn't really walk very well on my own at all initially um i think that was probably coupled a bit obviously with weakness from being you know in a coma but um yeah so there was a lingering result of that was that it uh, all of this high fever etc etc affected a nerve in my left ear yes. which really badly impacted my balance uh so <laughs> and, and you do learn a little bit as you grow up but <laughs> you got a laugh because uh, i really did look like a drunk person but i was <laughs> And I had this tendency to veer off to the left, so you know, and yeah. So, so to try and um, kind of combat that, uh, my husband and I had had words about it because I was like, "I'm going back to work. I'm fine." Typical stubborn. Uh, but he eventually won that, that battle, and I checked into step down, uh, where they just guide you through, yeah. you know, some of the after effects of, of what yes. happened. Um, that, that you can read a bit more about in my book, but oh, they, they dealt with stuff. I had tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on which language you're speaking in, in my ears, which was, oh man, it was awful. It's like when you watch the movies and then a big bomb goes off and then there's that humming noise. That insist was so loud. Like it was dreadful. Sure. So yeah, I had to learn how to manage that. I still have that. Uh, it's not something that really goes away. But there, oh, there was a lot of stuff, you know. They they were worried about my motor skills, obviously. Yeah. So I went back to sort of grade one, you know, those books oh. they give you where you have to trace the, num- the letters and the numbers. <laughs> and well, I had to do a whole book of that. By the way, no. my handwriting has never been great. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't think there's any coming back from bad handwriting, but. You know. Yeah, and eventually I, I landed up just spending time with the physio just to try and strengthen your core stability muscles and, and to try and get my walking and my, let's say, navigation yeah. skills a little bit better. <laughs> and also part of the joke was I could walk backwards like a champion. I mean, it put me in reverse and I was fine, but uh, going forwards, yeah, as long as we had, you know, if I was going around a rugby field, I would be great because I was be doing left turns the whole time. But um, yeah, and then she eventually sent me, we would walk every day as part of the therapy and we did like a little trail type walk, so off-road where there's, um, you know, it's not as easy to navigate. Uh, so initially she would obviously hold my my arm or, you know, to support me and then we sort of graduated from that to me being able to do it alone. Yeah. And... And that sort of perpetuated after step down as well I um, went to a Biokineticist and also she recommended that I walk for 30 minutes a day and that is where it started I suppose because walking for me is quite boring <laughs> and walking the same route every day I was eventually like no I can't and also, I mean, not not to sure. to disregard, you know, my I, I was I, I lost a lot of weight in the hospital, but you know, your body does overcompensate, so whatever I lost, I picked up quite a bit as well. So um, that was a consideration at the time, but it was really never top of mind. Yeah, it's and then the one good. day I thought, okay, okay. I'm going to see if I can run my walking route, and I should just note that my walking route is really hilly. So hills are something that I've had to come to <laughs> to love, but I honestly nearly died. I um, set off from the driveway. I don't. I don't think it's even a hundred meters between my three lampposts. I, I really thought I was going to die. It was way worse than at school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. And uh, yeah, and I was sort of like, okay, maybe I should just quit. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. No one has to know how bad it was. <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of adopted a bit of a, I guess you'd call it interval training. You know, walk, walk two lampposts, jog two, and and slowly but surely I was able to run the whole route. It was dreadfully slow. And I guess maybe that's, I was sort of reflecting before I, I delved into your podcast this morning. Perhaps that's one of the bigger lessons, you know. Exactly. Um, your running journey or my running journey, let me speak for myself, is really that. It's your own and and it doesn't matter how fast you go, and it doesn't matter how far you go. It just matters that you go. Um, and and that was really how I ended up running an ultra marathon was um, just being consistent, because I'm really not a brilliant athlete. As I say, I'm very much a normal person. I have normal person problems. Um, I'm not one of those, you know, elite athletes that's going to go and win the next comrades. That's not me. Yes. Um, I run because I love to do it. I run because it's uh, it be, it's become like a comfortable space for me. And, um, but I, ne- I did never, ever think, by the way, and I must just add, my walking route was three kilometers. And when I managed to run that, I, you could have probably, if you told me I'd won yeah. a marathon, I would have felt as proud. And uh, that sort of... I guess prompts, you know, I, I am quite competitive by nature. So then I thought, okay, I'll try for a five. And it just pulled from there, you know, it's a, I mean, running is like that. So if there are runners listening, uh, they will all know that it is very addictive. It once is. once you do it, there's no going back. The, the challenge is to just start and right. to to push through that, I don't know, there's almost this like invisible wall in your head that you think you can't you think you can't and then
1: one day you just can it is a mind game it's all in the head when it comes to and I think that's why you know when you referred in your book to the average age of you know men and women who compete or finish marathons I mean I think it was between 38 and 40 you know that head game is not for young people not for most young people no absolutely and
0: i mean the the further you run i think the more of a mind game it becomes your fitness becomes just a, almost an accepted part of that but yeah running a marathon is absolutely in your head uh, um mm. you if, if you read my book you'll also see but I'm, I'm sure there's many people out there as well like it's you sign up for a marathon and then you ask what's like oh my god i can't do this i <laughs> like what was I thinking? That's like how many park runs in a row and yeah. so far. It's, it's it's the thought in your head that you can't do it, you know. And that's my biggest downfall, I guess, in life is I have this inherent fear of failure. Okay. And so yeah, to to sign up for something and then not do it is almost not acceptable. That's tantamount. Yeah, it's it's tantamount to failure. So yeah, I mean, you 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 kind of do these crazy things. I mean, if you told me when I was in the hospital bed that a couple of years later I crossed the finish line of two oceans, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would have loved.
1: So let's pause there because there was a doctor who said to you that, you know, you probably will get, you know, 70% of your function back. And when I read that part in your book, I was wondering what went through your mind when, when somebody it's almost like they're issuing a challenge at you. It's not, a, um, a diagnosis, it's a challenge. And that's how I read it when when I was going through your story. So what went through your mind when somebody says to you, you can't do something or you probably won't be able to do something? How does that work in your head?
0: In my head, oh man, that's, that's proper negative motivation. Absolutely. That's like laying down the gauntlet. Don't tell me I can't do something. I'll show you. <laughs> um, although I must be honest, at the time when I looked at him, I was a bit baffled because uh-huh. I couldn't understand how he could come to that conclusion, remembering that in my head, I felt fine at the time. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't speaking well. I hadn't tried to go to the toilet yet. I hadn't tried to walk anywhere at all. So little knowing that all of that was still lying ahead of me. I, I mean, my brain was working fine. You, you know, you sort of know, I mean, yes. Wake up! You can. I could remember. You know. I knew the people were around me. I was. I was completely lucid, and I was looking at the sky, thinking, "No, oh, um, there may have been a few rude words in my head as well." Listening to that, thinking, yeah. "That's not going to no. Yeah. Um, I will show you." So yeah, there, there, there's definitely an element of of that. Um, and at some point, Nikki, I think initially I probably started out on this journey to prove him wrong. Yeah, but it changed. It changed because you don't run an ultra marathon for anyone other than yourself, in my opinion. Yes, yes. It's. I mean, that's an enormous dedication of time, emotional energy, etc. So, at some point, and I'm not quite sure at which point, but eventually, I realized that I was doing this to prove to myself that I was okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of an important part, you know, because I think if we take it back to, you know, the fact that I was never a, a runway model <laughs> uh, in terms of how I looked, it, it, it totally talks to, I think, what you're trying to convey in, you know, your podcasts and stuff. Um, and why I think yeah. potentially I was successful in my running journey because I as I say I never it was never a sole driving factor that now I wanted to lose weight. Yeah. But when you start to train for a marathon, you your body kind of you, you firstly appreciate what your body can do. Absolutely. And you start to understand how much stronger you are than you think you are. And then your body tells you, it tells you what to eat because you crave healthy food, you crave lots of water, you need rest, you need to do strength training, you need to be consistent. So that whole journey almost creates a fertile ground for very healthy habits and and they become habits. I mean, if you do something consistently enough, eventually it becomes part of who you are. Mm and yes, yeah, so so, yes, probably going through my head was was no, okay, I'll prove you wrong, but um, that definitely changed for me over time.
1: Was there ever a time you know between the the hospital, the step down, the rehab, where you started to doubt yourself, where you started to get frightened that perhaps you know you'd never come back from this? were there any moments of self-doubt not because not. it doesn't look like there were um what uh, there, I had a what your yeah. <laughs> I
0: had a wobbly at uh, I think it was the second second I've stepped down. I had a, a serious wobbly because I, I'm very much like that. I'm very driven, and I'm very I tend to portray this front to the world that everything is fine, but like a duck, right? So at the top I'm calm, but yeah. underneath I'm paddling furiously. <laughs> and um, I think one of the things I probably could have handled a whole lot better was being a whole lot more empathetic towards my my family and the people around me that had been through so much sure. while I was so ill. <clears throat> I just dived straight into, I'm going to get better, I'm fine, I'll show you a lot. And I rode roughshod over, I think, their emotions to a large degree. And trying to juggle all those balls kind of caught up with me on the second day of step down. Uh, there I did. I... I started to wonder maybe I wasn't going to be okay. Maybe my husband wouldn't love me anymore if I wasn't normal. Maybe I wouldn't be able to work. And you know, I allowed myself that one, and it was a, a pretty good pity party. I'm not going to lie; uh, it was weird. it was ugly. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was on my own in the room, and I I just sometimes they say it's good to have a good cry. I yes. had a, a very good cry that day, and uh, it was probably the only time where I really doubted that. Where I let that. I mean, that was a big fear. Yeah. Um, that the, the seed that the, the doctor had planted It was really the only time that I allowed that. Um, I had other wobblies along the way in terms of just doubting my own ability to complete a distance or achieve a time goal or whatever the case might be, but nothing comparative mm-hmm. to the pity party day yeah. uh, that I had at Step Down. No. Um, but, but, and again, I mean, I, I kind of. Pulled myself out of that hole because I knew if if my dad had been alive, he would have totally kicked my backside for being so pathetic. Because uh-huh. you know, you have your cheerleading squad. We all have. Yeah. Uh, I, I refer to it as my as my support crew. Yes, you know, we go. You go through life. One thinks you go through life alone, but you don't. You have. I mean, it's a very important role that those people play. You yeah? and. Um, Mom as well. My mom is an incredibly brave lady. So I've got very, very big shoes to fill in a way. Yes. And they don't tolerate pity parties. So I kind of put that in a box and I was like, right, you're just going to take it day by day, step by step, and kind of roll with it and see where it winds up. Yes. And that's what I did.
1: Another theme in in the book is, You know, you can't compare where you are with where you've been. And I think that's a really important message. The reason I'm asking that is because I work with so many people, lots of women who can't imagine, can't imagine, you know, doing half an hour's exercise a day. Because, like you and like me, our experience of exercise and athletics and running at school was terrible. There's, I can't speak for all school coaches, but I can say the vast majority of school athletics and sport puts people off exercise, can put people off exercise for life. If I had to, um, you know, if I had to base my running off what I did at school, I would never have started running because they don't teach you, you know, what your coach, for example, teaches you or how to pace yourself or how to breathe correctly. And, you know, what Would you, I mean, you like you say, you're just as normal as anybody else. What was it? I suppose I'm guessing here, please correct me. It might have been the fact that you had to walk for rehab that got the journey started for you. But what would you recommend for or suggest to somebody who's desperate to sort their life out, desperate to get exercising? Where do you start as somebody who's just a normal human being who feels like they will never achieve even a park run? Where do you, how do you find that within you to get going? So I guess it's,
0: first you have to make the decision that you actually do want to do something and you have to do it for the right reasons. So, and that reason for me was just, you know, I I needed to make sure I was going to be okay. It wasn't. I needed to be thinner. It wasn't, I needed to, you know, I, I never set a goal of I'm going to run a park run or I'm going to run a marathon for that matter. At, not at the beginning. At the beginning, it was, I, I started a habit and the habit was very much get up, get a routine, put your shoes on, get out of the house. Yeah. So, so, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be for long either, because the problem we live with in, in the current times, especially is that life is so, so busy and exactly. you know, you, where do you find the time? But I mean, I guess to put it into perspective, we spend an enormous amount of time being busy, not, you know, busyness as opposed to just, Yes. and, and so if you take 10 minutes away from that and, and you take those 10 minutes and go walk around the block, it's better than not doing anything. There's a meme around, I'm sure you may have seen it, that says, you know, even even a kilometre, you still. it doesn't matter how slow you go, you're still napping everyone on the couch. Even if you just walk around the block once, it's a start. And you do that consistently, and then you commit to yourself, that's what you're going to do. And you carve out whenever it works for you. I I mean, I run at crazy hours. Uh, Someone asked me the other day, how do I fit it in? But I mean it's what I do and it's my time in the day. It's the only time I have where I haven't got emails and people demanding things and meetings and I can just be, Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's time that's it's priority. Um, And I think that's, that's really, you know, if you really want to do it, you will commit to it and you will make sure that it works for you and you Mm -hmm. will take away the excuses that we tend to that I definitely use, like, oh, I haven't got time now because I have to go and do this, or so-and-so needs me and therefore I can't do, you know, my whatever. If if it's important, you'll say, listen, I've got, I'm busy from X time to X time, I can help you after that. And it's about setting those boundaries to put yourself first because that's really what it is, isn't it?
1: it is and also you you roped friends your mom you roped all sorts of people in to go <laughs> and do park run or just to walk around the block. And you know, I think it's also really important because if somebody's if somebody's expecting you to show up even at a 10K race in the rain in May, you you'll do it because you've made a commitment, not just to yourself, but to somebody else. And I think we underestimate the power of people yeah. in our lives. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up actually. Yeah. I yeah.
0: forgot to mention that. And that's actually very important. I think Look, I'm, I, I largely train alone, uh, although my, my running crew has been an integral part of that journey because what you all know as well as a runner, when you're training for a marathon, you have got these things that they refer to as long runs. Long yes. runs are just so much easier to, to conquer when you have a group of people with you. But it is, it's about committing to someone else that you've got someone else to help you um, remain accountable for the goals that you have. So yeah. I, think, I think that is some, another way that one can do it. Um, I think also, you know, there's lots of these training type programs and stuff out there. Because one of the problems that I had uh, was I, you know, I could run a 3K, then I ran a 5K, then all of a sudden I was running a 10K. Yeah. And yep. your body can't actually handle it. So what you you sort of land up injuring yourself or, yes. you know, your body can't handle it. And then, you know, you think, oh, no, no, I can't do it. And then you fall out of the habit again. Right. So right. it's quite important to go ease into it slowly, not rush yourself, not put too much pressure on yourself. And that comes back to what I said initially, where I said it is your journey. You don't have to compete with your park run buddies that are running a sub 25 or a sub 25K. Uh, yes. Honestly, if you go, just showing up is an achievement on its own. And you need to give yourself credit for those things, the little achievements along the way, because all the little achievements add up to. Big results without you even realizing it.
1: They absolutely do. So you eventually, you know, you found the park run. And for many people, that is the start of our running journeys. It's a safe space. It's the most ingenious um, thing that was ever created as far as running is concerned. And um I remember you were saying in the book um, that Bruce Fordyce was announcing the inaugural park run at the, the, the place that you were running. And I think that's also like experiences like that can be so pivotal where you, you realize maybe there's something bigger here. Um, So talk us through your, your park run journey as well. And how, you know, if I always suggest doing a park run or a my run for, for people who want to start out because it's safe, it's organized, there's no traffic it's managed and it allays a lot of our stress and fear about how to get started. So uh, let's, let's chat about that for a bit. Yes,
0: I mean, I happened on Parkrun accidentally, actually. Um, I found an ad and it was obviously because it was an inaugural Parkrun for one of the Parkruns here near where I live. And, yeah, Mom came with. I was totally overawed by the fact that Bruce Fordas was there. I didn't really, yes. I didn't realize <laughs> that he was part of Parkrun. I mean, honestly, I was like... wow, Wow. Bruce Fordyce, you know, I mean, goodness, when I was a little child, I would watch him on TV winning. And to just be able to meet such a legend was was an incredible experience. Yeah. And, Mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, again, it's part of that running journey. It becomes a thing. Even now, uh, Saturdays are... A day that I look forward to. We've actually renamed Saturdays to Park Run days. You know, in my circle of yeah. friends here, and it's, it's honestly a day that I, I really I look forward to being with the people. And you know, again, it's not about time. It's some days you race it, some days you walk it, other days you do both. Um, it's it's about the fact that everyone is out there. Yes. Enjoying, you know, being outdoors, being healthy enough and fit enough to get around a 5K track, because we must remember some people aren't able to do that. So, yeah. yes, it is a privilege, and it does remind you that, you know, 5Ks is also a good distance. You don't, if you're training for a marathon, it, there's a very easy trap to fall into that you have to run a 10K every day every day or whatever the case might be, or, you know, Not only true. a proper runner, and I use the word proper in inverted commas, yes. um, if you're running a half marathon or if you're running a marathon. Mm-hmm. And I think parkrun has gone an incredible way to dispelling that that belief amongst mm-hmm. some of the, you know, let's say more hardened runners out there. Yeah. And, yeah, so, but, I mean, my parkrun journey, huh, yeah. so I think I'm nearing 100 parkruns. Wow. I've got a couple to go. Mm-hmm. But it started out really, I wanted to become a tourist because they had those cool uh, orange caps and I was like, where do you buy those? And they were like, no, no, you can't buy them, you have to earn them. And that was when I started to realize there were milestones that you can achieve along the way. So I set out to try and achieve uh, parkrun tourist status and I did my 50 uh, just before the whole COVID thing. And yeah, I mean, Parkrun has just been an integral part of my whole running journey. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, when I was training training for a marathon, I would do what the crazy people in my head. I'm like, why would you run to Parkrun? I, <laughs> yeah. I, but I was one of those. I did run to Parkrun, run, run Parkrun, go home. But it, it because it gave you a purpose. It gave you, or it gave me somewhere to go. It gave me somewhere that I belong. You know, and the yes. people are just so. The volunteers and the people that I know there—it's it's such a community. Mm. It's it's a nice place to be. Mm. You know, it's somewhere that I want to be. And um, yeah, so I think. And, and the other thing that I see parkrunners doing now is they're also trying to dispel the myth that because they, there's the word "run" in the title, you have to run it. I mean, you don't have to run it. Yeah. When I was recovering from an injury, I walked quite a few parkruns, and you will never be the last person. That's what the tail walker is for because I was always worried I was going to be no, in stone lost. They make sure you're not. <laughs> um, no, they make sure you're not. And it's it's nice because there's also people of different experiences there. So you can, if you're not sure about, you know, I want to run a 10K, there's probably going to be a runner there that you can ask. Yeah. Or, you know, if you need to know about shoes or whatever, there's at least a someone will know um, and you just have to reach out. And, I mean, it's an incredibly supportive community yeah. in my experience.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, and that really is, you know, I think especially post-COVID is what people are naturally craving as community and a sense of belonging. Because you don't always get that from your school days and your school friends or family or from, from work. But sport and a sense of community and support is really, really important for our mental health. And I really believe that's why things like this are growing so, so remarkably well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's, it's so nice to see, I mean, our park, my local park run. there's a lot of little children as well, you know, so it's so nice to see the families together and the friends together. and mm. It kind of becomes a tradition, you know, you see the same faces every Saturday and then we mosey yeah. on after that for a coffee. Yes. It's just a great way to start, start the weekend. Yes. Good,
1: good vibes, you know. Yes. And then from parkrun, you progress to finding a club and that's, actually, you know, that's where things change. So what happened next?
0: Yes, yeah, so I, well, that was actually probably, I'm totally blaming my husband for this, but my husband, um, he knows me so well. So he reckons I'm like a diesel engine because I am not particularly fast, but yeah. I just keep going. And I was actually very offended when he told me that, but he's right. I'm I'm built for distance, not for speed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He, he, the bearing in mind, of course, that he was a really good athlete at school. So he couldn't understand how it was that I could be so slow. And then my competitive side came out. So initially I was wanting to train a little bit to get faster over a 5k. And I didn't really know what to do. And although my husband was good at athletics, he's a short distance um, athlete. So sprinting and stuff. Uh Um, so yeah, I sort of reckoned, okay, well, let me see if there, if I can join a club, you know, maybe there'll be a coach or there'll be some guidance. And yeah, so kind of the equivalent of opening a telephone book, I consulted Google and found a, a club nearby. Yes, And uh, <laughs> I kind of didn't have a choice there either. I, I arrived just to go and see what it was all about. Uh-huh. And yeah, then it. I met Lindy and Lindy made the decision for me. It's like, oh, well, welcome, welcome to Irene. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and yeah, he's, I mean, he was also an integral part of, of that journey. He understood my competitive nature. He understood also, I think, far better than I did at the time, my capabilities. Uh-huh. And he knew exactly how to, you know, manipulate the situation <laughs> to get me to agree to crazy stuff. So it's thanks to him that I, you know, ran this kind of times I ran on a 10K, that I ran a half marathon. Uh, It's all all thanks to him. I mean, he was the one that planted those seeds. And, yeah, if it hadn't been for his encouragement and his guidance and advice, um, probably the journey would have been a lot different.
1: Yeah, I think we underestimate the importance of coaching, Um, you know, especially things like running because a lot of us do it for fun and we do it for fitness and we do it on the weekend. But the minute you switch into a formalised plan with a coach, the entire game changes and you start realising what you're capable of. And without accountability and without strategy and, you know, an actual plan, we can hover along being less than effective for most of our lives. And I think there's a good lesson in that.
0: Yeah, it's comfortable, right? So no one really, it's absolutely a comfort zone. You know, you get out, you do your thing, and I, I think COVID has also been, well, for me anyway. It was really just I train and stuff, but you know, you've got no goals, you've got nothing to strive towards, so it becomes comfortable. So it is important um, to have some kind of structure. However, one puts that structure in place, you know, I'm not not everyone can afford a a full time coach. Cool. But not, not everyone would see the need for one. And that's why I mean I say if you if you've got a group of friends and you have certain goals, you know, there are other there's lots of material out there, which at times can be confusing, but I mean, I think you just need to understand the basic stuff you need to do. Yeah. The key for me was just to have someone there that that I respected and that would tell me, listen, okay, you know, you need to do this or your shoes are wrong or whatever the case might be, because I didn't know what I didn't know. I mean, I was so clueless about all forms of um, running. I mean, when Lindy told me I had to eat while I was running, I sort of looked at him. I'm like, how the hell do you (laughs) do do that? (laughs) Like, what do you mean I have to eat while I'm running? I mean, that's insane. Um, You know, and I mean, all of those kind of things, when you start to delve into the world of endurance, Sport in general, not just running. Uh-huh. That you know that those there's all those finer details. You you will never figure that out if you just carry on in your little comfort zone, running around, yes. you know, your local yeah. neighbourhood. So, hundred percent agree with that sentiment. I think it's it's very definitely a a lesson one can carry through to other aspects of your life as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, all right, so let's fast forward. So you did your 21s and then you decided to do the marathon, the first marathon, I'm assuming. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's never just Um, one. And, you know, what was going through your head building up? Not even, no, let's not even go building up because people can read about that. But On that day, where was your headspace while you were doing this thing that you had never envisaged you would ever do? What was going through your mind at the time?
0: Well, before I started running, I was like, this is a crazy idea. I can't do this. I'm never gonna finish. I was so scared. I was I was like sort of alternating between like hot and then I was cold and then oh it was awful. And then you know, you did I remember this and I couldn't like where's my charger for my watch and where are my shoes and did I bring my brain along I mean it was I was in such a state <laughs> before I got going yeah. and then um, yeah, yeah there was there was obviously pressure one of the nice things for so the first marathon I ran was at uh, Carbs of Whip which is just outside Nullspray
1: uh-huh.
0: and um, I'm not sure that they allow it anymore, but when I ran, my husband was allowed to second me from along the side of the road. So it's a, a point-to-point route. So you mm. start at Up and you run all the way down into uh, the Nelspratt Stadium, yes, Bombela Stadium, I think is the correct word. And so, yeah, I did a lot of research beforehand and when I'm supposed to eat and how much I'm supposed to drink, etc., cetera, et cetera. So it was, you know, my husband had very strict instructions about where he was going to find me and what he had to have, you know, which banana which point he had to have a banana and when he, I mean I totally over engineered this thing. But yeah, when I started, I, I you know, once you get going, you, then it was fine. It was actually fine. I, I did panic a little at the beginning because it was a congested start. So Lindy had these crazy time goals that he wants he he didn't tell me what time I was supposed to run, but I, in my head, knew it was going to be some sort of crazy time. I mean, that's just his style. Yeah. And I was sort of planning to run a four, maybe a 4.15, 4.30 marathon. And getting out of the pack at the beginning was just a nightmare. I think I was running on average seven and a half, eight minutes a K. Um, and eventually I just sort of thought to myself, well, you know what, even if this is the only marathon you ever run, you hear which is on its own an achievement and actually you just need to finish and it doesn't help that you freak out about time, just enjoy it, you know, and it's a beautiful part of the of the world. I mean, there's wild horses that run there, stunning scenery. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, that's eventually I stopped looking at my watch. I stopped panicking about my time yes. and, yeah. Um, yeah, I just kept going, I guess. And then, yeah, I re- sort of rewarded myself along the way. I mean, at that stage, I was fueling with jelly babies and I not remember what all, but I, ate, I remember eating a red jelly baby at halfway because those are my favorites. I like the red ones the best. And like, this is the furthest I've ever run. And uh, then I saw my husband. So everything was fine until sort of the latter part of the race because... You know, as husbands do, he says uh-huh. to me, no, you should catch the sub four-hour bus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's no mm-hmm. way that I'm going to run a sub four marathon. No way. And remembering now, I haven't really been checking my time. So, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Eventually, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> check my watch and I thought, okay, uh-huh. I can, maybe I can. Maybe I can. But then I realized I think I had 30 minutes left to run 5Ks, right? And I'm like, well, I can run a I can run a park run in under thirty minutes, no problem. Except they don't tell you about the last ten Ks of Corps of work That is just uphill. And I mean if you've been running downhill for well, sure. the preceding thirty two Ks, your legs are hammered and it's hot and humid there. So then I had another little pity party walk up a hill and but yeah. Eventually, I bolted for the finish line. So, yeah, I was, I was very tough to have finished. Probably one of the best finishes I I will ever remember. Yeah. We bought beer with a really disgustingly sweaty 50 rand note oh. out of my running, running pack. And, I mean, it was early in the morning. Yeah. But, I mean, a plane had gone overhead somewhere in the world. <laughs> uh, just as a celebration. It was it was a very special moment. Yeah. yeah so. So, and, and I did... I did manage a sub four, by the way, for the record.
1: So what does that do? I mean, you know, anyone who runs will know, but for those who are curious, what does doing that, completing a marathon like that do for you? you you're never going to go, well, that's it, I'm, I'm done. This opens up all sorts of ideas in one's head about what you're capable of. I mean, you've you've bashed some of your sort of pre- preconceived ideas about what you're capable of over the last year and now you do this so where to from here yeah
0: look I mean and again that's you know from a running perspective obviously I mean then once you've run a marathon that bug has bitten you there's no coming back (laughs) (laughs) then it's it's a question of exploring I think and that's really what running has been for me exploring the different aspects of your running journey you know are you are you a marathoner are you a Half marathoner. what you know, where are you most comfortable? Because mm-hmm. you also don't know until you've tried, and um, sure. I guess just that self confidence that you in, invariably will get. That I mean, running a marathon is quite a, as I said, it's a, it's a mental thing, so that does give you a lot of mental strength for, for other aspects in life as well. Because it, it, it does hurt, um, no matter how hard you train, it's going to hurt, of course, and um. You know, being able to overcome that, you, you can just tackle a whole lot of other things in life with a sort of a view that, okay, well, you know, the marathon didn't sort of get me down. I I can get through this. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons in your lead up to a marathon that are very much applicable. Yeah, to the rest of your life. So yeah, but then yeah, the question you ask now, what next? Well, I decided, well, you know, I've run forty-two Ks, now I need to try for an ultra. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was what I did. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. So yeah, I signed up for the Two Oceans Ultra and and that was that was definitely a adventure or a journey in self-doubt that I've never had in my life before. I, I totally psyched myself out prepping for two oceans. It it was not an easy build up to that. There were a whole lot of events and incidents that happened before I even got close to the start line that all sort of seemed to be conspiring for me not to go. And hmm, how did I get to the start? The Same way as I got to the start of any other race was eventually I just broke it down into something smaller that my brain could understand and took it one step at a time and some of the advice that that I got given in leading up to the ultra was um, from another member of the club where he recommended that I walk for a couple of minutes after every six kilometers so you sort of push the wall they call it when you hit the wall uh, you kind of push the wall out or you push your fatigue out yeah um, and that your body isn't as you know tired at the beginning so you've got a little bit left at the end And in my head, that worked for me because I was totally psyched. Like the fact that I had to run so much further than a marathon. And I mean, I knew how I'd felt at the end of a marathon when I was tired. My legs were sore, you know, and then I'm going, okay, but now you want to run another 14 kilometers on top of that. That's just nuts. Why would you even do that to yourself? Damn, and um, and with all the other things that happened prior to me towing that start line, yeah. I um, I very nearly, nearly yeah. didn't go. Um, you know, I, I I sat with a problem at one point. I had two entries. I had a half marathon entry and a marathon, uh, an ultra marathon <laughs> entry, and then I didn't know which one I was going to use. But eventually, they sort of force you. You know, you have to make you have to make a decision. You have to think pick your distance, pick your poison. And uh, I remember phoning the lady at the Two Oceans uh, office and you know, she thought it was very funny. She was like, are you going to run both? I was like, no. <laughs> and you know, when I, I had to make that decision, I think it had been brewing in my self-conscious or my subconscious for a while. I, um, when she asked me, she's like, so my dear, which distance do you want to run? And I just did the ultra and I was like, no, Zoe, did you just say that? What were you thinking? <laughs> But I, th- I guess it had been brewing on the on the back, you know. I, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? But it was it was a. I didn't run the normal route. I ran the the route um, via Oakarpsaver because there was uh, protest action at Taut Bay, so they changed the route. Um, so I I feel like I definitely have to go back because I definitely have to run the proper route.
1: Okay, so I guess you know the lesson is here, yeah, and this comes up a lot through your book as well is it's more important to start than to finish. It's more important that you took the step. Oh, yes. That you started the journey. And I think a lot of people wanting to explore running don't realize that. It's the fact that you get up every morning and even if you just go around the block, that's a huge achievement. Um, It's not going to dictate where you end up at all.
0: No, look, so I mean, I think my, and I know I have a lot of, uh, you know, within my, my broader circles, I know a lot of people don't Want to run or mm. can't run or whatever the reason. Is. So for me, it's it's about being fit. It's about it's a way of life. It's about getting, you know, keeping your body in the best shape it can be because you you know you need your body. Yeah. Um, and and it's yeah. it's really that. It's it's that mindset of little bits of being consistent, committing a little piece of the. Uh, your day. I mean, it doesn't. Like I say, it doesn't have to be uh, a lot of time. You don't have to be on the, on the road or, you know, whatever your your fitness of choice is. You you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours doing it. Not all of us, or uh, well, me in particular, I don't have the luxury of being able to train for hours at a time. Um, but the little bit of time that I do make available, I make that time count, and and I think that's that's yes. that's
1: important. That's a really good, good, good lesson is to make it count. Um, And then what, what drove you to write a book? Because writing a book in itself is a marathon event. So what prompted you to, to do that? Take that step. This is going to sound really lame, but my mother made me do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Sounds like your mom made you do a lot of things along this, 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 this route. My mom
0: is a very inspirational lady. Um, yeah, I was, I, technically I think she should be the one writing a book cuz like got book. lots of lots of adventures but yeah so what happened was she signed me up for a mentorship to write. I had I had written a few things before mm-hmm. um, like nothing nothing long format in in terms of like mm-hmm. a full on book like short blogs and so on. I still do blog um mm-hmm. until today. But um, she forgot to tell me that she'd signed me up for this, this it's like a mentorship program um, with the writing room. <coughs> and I got all these emails to you know sort out the formalities. Uh, sort of looked at these emails. I thought they were initially, they were spam and I sort of ignored them. And then they kept coming and eventually I read them. And I mean, the only person that could ever possibly have prompted that would have been my mom. So I remember phoning her saying <laughs> saying, mommy. <laughs> What have you done? And yeah, then I mean, I didn't plan to write about this journey of mine either because I obviously hadn't planned to write a book. Um, so you go to the first meeting, and the first meeting is all these proper writers, and they all have their stories organised, and I'm sitting there going, um, "What am I going to write about? I don't know what I'm going to write about."
1: <laughs> and
0: yeah. I guess, I guess they say that everyone has a book inside them. Yeah. And once I started to write, it just came out. Um, so that the bulk of my book I wrote at the beginning of lockdown. Mm-hmm. So when we were in hard lockdown. And yeah, once, I mean, that, it, it's not difficult for me to write long format though. So that yeah. I must just sort of caveat it by saying that I do write for my work, um, you know, long reports and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm used to sitting and putting words on a page but putting my story and my words on a page was a bit of a, it was quite cathartic, I guess. But it was it was also uncomfortable, I guess, because yeah. it makes you think about stuff differently than you, you know, you sort of go through the process and you come out on the other side. But you don't have to always reflect. So it did, it did prompt a lot of reflection, to use the word. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I think i if I, recall correctly, when I started, it took me about three, four months to get my first draft together. And if I'd only known that, that was the easy part. (laughs) (laughs) The hard work only starts after that. But yeah, it's it's been its own adventure, this book of mine. And I think the reason I wrote it eventually was, you know, if it helps one person out there, then it was worth it. I didn't write it to be, you know, any kind of guru or yeah, expert on anything. Um, I really just wanted to share with the person that needs it and there probably will be someone that, you know, you don't have to be labeled by what other people say or think of you. You can determine your own labels and the only person that's stopping you is yourself. Yes. And the, the negativity in you know in my world anyway when I tell myself no you can't do this or you can't do that so yeah I think I think that's really what I'd like the story yes. or the message to be um yes. there's a lot of others uh, in there I also include like 10 yes. lessons that I've learned from running yes. um although that being said I have learned so much from you know running continues to humble me and to teach me and uh yeah, I hope, I hope I still have a long relationship with running that lies ahead. Um,
1: yeah, so so that was why I wrote it, because my mommy made me. Oh, I love that. I love that. And yes, you know, I think that is, that is. you know, we do these things because if you can just help one other person, change their perspective, live a better life, change their mind, um, that's all we're really here for is to pay it forward, is to take our experiences and, and pay them forward. And yeah, well done for, for doing what you did, accomplishing what you have and having the, I think the bravery to put it out, out there into the world as well. Cause that's, that's very brave is to, to write a book and put it out there, what you've been through. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend that anybody who's on the fence about getting their ass moving is to get hold of, <laughs> of Zoe's book, which will be in the show notes. Um, it's available everywhere. Um, every bookshop it's available online is to to get some inspiration from somebody who describes herself as ordinary and normal just like the rest of us and just by taking one step at a time you can do anything and it's so inspirational so, so thank you so much for putting it out there into the world um, thanks nikki and thank you so much for the opportunity to chat to you it a great time. my pleasure thank you Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.